Welcome to Mojo Moments. I'm your host, Thane Calder. You know, this podcast was invented, born, brought to life during the pandemic of 2020. And if you're not aware, there has been a pandemic caused by COVID-19 and we're living in it right now. And we felt we needed a podcast that talks about Mojo because if there's any time that we've needed Mojo, it's right now. And with me today is my smarter half, my wingmate, my buddy, Mark Delinsky. What's up? Yes, you. And I pronounced his name properly after five years. Anyway, so in season two, we've added into our little podcast mix where we normally talk with people and have conversations, our Mojo masters. We've added in this idea of Mojo riffs. And this is just where Mark and I riff on a mojo topic. The other day, we chatted about the month of November. Yeah, that month that is very anti-mojo. But we found a little mojo in there, eh, Mark? We did. Anyway, someone may ask, I know we asked ourselves, whoever talks about November on a podcast? Well, we did. And that's the beauty of podcasting is you can break the rules. And in fact, that's our theme today. That's what we're going to riff about, breaking rules. So, Mark, before we jump into breaking the rules, I do need to know, how's your mojo? It's pretty good today. Pourquoi? My dog came back from the vet. He can now walk again, which was great. He had a little leg thing. Now he's better. We can go for walks again. He needs a big boost to my mojo, wandering the streets here in Montreal. <laughs> it's just fun. I get, I get to go out. I get to listen to some podcasts. I walk around with my dog in the dead of night. And, and it's fun. It boosts my mojo. I haven't been doing that for the past six weeks. And so were, would you say your mojo was down in that period? It was definitely down. November was very tough. And then our little assignment to find the mojo of November was even harder. <laughs> because <laughs> my mojo was already sort of in the pits. But today's episode is pretty good. I'm excited to talk about rule breaking. Little side note, I think our next riff needs to be on the Mojo Pets because obviously there's a lot in your life and and, and now in my life that we have a cat named Panda. But let's talk about breaking rules, dude. Absolutely. Do you break rules? It depends on which rules you're talking about. And uh, this is one of those things that I was sort of considering to myself when we sort of thought about doing this topic is, is what type of rules there are. And sort of like what, what we're actually talking about. Because like, if you want to think about rules in general, in a democratic and open society, there's sort of this generalized social contract about what actions are and are not appropriate. You know, there's two basic forms of rules, those that are, that are explicit and those that are implicit. So laws and regulations would be explicit, sort of social etiquette would be implicit rules. And without them is generally chaos. But at the same time, Breaking rules, A, is kind of fun sometimes when you know you're doing it. Mm. But then there's also this idea of breaking with convention or breaking sort of a best practice, which is also another sort of rule, socially mandated. You remember I started this all out saying my smarter half? Well, we've just confirmed that. I was just like, you know, what rules do you break? And you're like, social contract rules and all these different types of rules. I hadn't actually broken it down like that. So, So tell me. What type of rule have you broken that you can share? One of my favorites to do, that's a general rule, is I like, it sort of goes back to walking my dog, is I find that especially in the, in the winter, 
when you're walking your dog. It's great to, to drink a beer in the street while walking the dog. Just generally not allowed. You're not allowed to drink an open <laughs> vessel, alcoholic beverage in the street. But I find that incredibly enjoyable, especially after a, a fresh fall in snow. You're wandering, I'm wandering around. I'm listening to something in my headphones, drinking a little beer with my dog, walking around the street. It's so much fun. Like, this image is so forged in my head forever. And what I'm really wondering is the whole notion, you know, for those of you in our listenership around the world around the planet when it's frozen there's this thing we all do up here in canada when we're kids we put our tongues if you put your tongue on something <laughs> metal it gets stuck like it really does it gets stuck it gets frozen on the metal and you risk you know ripping the skin off the top of your tongue so i'm picturing you with your can of beer i'm, I'm assuming it's a can or is it a bottle it's a can okay absolutely it's a can a frozen can stuck to your mouth so how does that i guess it works i don't know like did, well it's not frozen when it starts that's yeah, the thing like yeah. you can take it from your own fridge and walk out with it and it was actually a, a, a sort of fun habit that started uh about five years ago um, my, my partner and i went on a trip to barcelona and it was over the course of my birthday so it was in may and one of the things we used to do is just like grab beers from one of their convenience stores and like at night once you leave a bar we would just grab some beers and then walk back to our airbnb when we were staying we we're just drinking the streets and yeah but there but there you're not breaking rules exactly there it's a bit more socially acceptable so you're not breaking necessarily the social contract you're joining it and you're you're taking part in it whereas here generally speaking frowned upon but that's something i definitely do enjoy breaking that rule when i was in india a thousand years ago when i was a uh... But I did a gap year between high school and university. I spent almost a year there. Anyway, a buddy of mine named VK uh, lived in southern India. He he was actually quite well off, not not like said, the super rich, but you know upper middle class. His parents lived. They had a, a, a an apartment on the first floor. They rented out. They lived on the second floor, and then his room was on the rooftop. Uh, it was a room. He had his own space, and then he had like this open rooftop deck. And VK is like, he'd been to to Europe before on a trip, and he really likes steak. <laughs> He's like, dude, dude, do you want to go to the market and get some steaks? And we'll he had like this little like oveny thing on the roof that he had, and we'll cook them up there. I'm like, and it, you gotta understand, his mom was extreme vegetarian. Southern India is more vegetarian. And it was some holiday or a fasting. I was like, man, no way, man. Your mom already hates me. Uh, she called me the white devil. Um, well, I mean. Wait, wait, wait. Just stay on the story here. So we, I'm like, anyway, we can't get. And he said, yeah, yeah, we'll go to the Christian part of the market. And then we'll get some steaks, you know, the Christian part. Hey, this. So we sent you the white devil. No, no, I was like, I wasn't uncomfortable. I wasn't really into this, you know, but he really wanted to have a steak. So we got steaks. We got beer. By the way, no alcohol in his house. And here we are on the roof, actually doing a wonderful barbecue of, you know, with the waffling smells of steak coming off the roof and our beer. And he, but he had this little cage in, or like a, one of those cage doors. It was a security thing in their in their in their house, and he locked it so his mom wouldn't come up and catch us. Anyway, so that's that. That was breaking rules, but I wasn't. I think he was more into. I was like a little more. I felt I was a guest in his house. Like I shouldn't, 
you know, she, it just reaffirmed her thoughts of me. Anyway. Yeah. This Western interloper showing up, corrupting her son, making him drink beer and eat steaks. Yeah. But do you feel you're breaking a rule when you're drinking that beer, walking around a snowy night with your dog? I know I'm breaking a rule and I know that should a police officer stop me, I could get in some shit. I know that going in. Do I think it's a big deal? No. Am I harming anyone? No. Am I minding my own goddamn business? Yes. So I know I'm breaking the rule. I think it's important when we talk about, you know, what are the rules of breaking rules? But I feel you've hit a couple of them there. You know, you're not harming anyone. I'm not harming anyone. There's no risk of danger. Yeah. I'm not a drunken lout wandering around with a vicious animal attacking well, people. According to you. <laughs> I might be a lout, but I'm not a vicious yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're willing to live with the consequences if you were yeah. caught in the grand scheme. Yeah. So for, for all of you considering to break rules for the first time, remember the lessons there from Mark, you know. Uh, <laughs> Be willing to accept the consequences of your actions. And you're not, you're not hurting anyone. So the other day when we were talking about, okay, what do we want to riff on? I went for a jog. I've been going to the office, which is not against the law right now. Uh, and, and from the office, I go for runs on Mount Royal here in Montreal. And when I was coming back, I was running up the street here in, in Montreal, like a lot of cities, a lot of one-way streets. But where our office is downtown, as you know, Mark, but you haven't been here since the beginning of COVID, or maybe once, not uh, even? Yeah, been like four months since I've been yeah, there. Yeah, okay. Anyway, there's still the one-way streets. I, was, I realized one of the things I miss since the pandemic is there's no traffic, so I don't need to do this. But normally to get to the office... What I do is I drive up, it's a side street. We're not talking Fifth Avenue here. I drive up the side street against the one-way traffic. Well, there's barely ever traffic. Now there's none, so there's no use me doing it. It doesn't have the same mojo. But when I do do it, I get a little buzz off the, I've cut a corner. I've gained some efficiency. I feel self-justified because otherwise I, I literally have to drive another five-minute radius around. So I'm doing something good for the environment, right? A little less carbon into the air until I get that electric car. And there, and there we go. And that to me is, is uh, there are consequences for driving up a one-way street the wrong way. Uh, but I feel I've, I've prepped already my, my pitch to the cops, if ever that happens. Okay. What is it? I didn't know. <laughs> and I was so Ignorance. confused. Ignorance. I was so lost. I, I, and then I was like, I've already started. I had to follow through on it. Now it's interesting that you say that, that, that you almost feel justified in your, in your ability to cut that corner. Because I was looking through the interwebs and I found a, a paper in the Social, Psychological, and Personality Science Journal from 2011. Now, this is interesting because the article is called Breaking the Rules to Rise to Power, How Norm Violators Gain Power in the Eyes of Others. And what they concluded in this article is that through a series of tests, vi the violation of norms signals power to others who are watching it. So they ran a bunch of tests where they watched people do a similar act, but one person violates a rule and the other one doesn't. And what they found at the end was norm violators are perceived as having the capacity to act as they please, which fuels a per perception of power, which is then kind of what they posit in this anyways, is it kind of creates this little loop. So the power leads to this behavioral disinhibition. So 
what they're saying is that the powerful are more likely to violate those norms, which in turn lets other people perceive them as powerful, which in turn lets them do it again. And it's a sort of like spinning wheel loop of, of breaking rules and having it be accepted, which taken to its logical and most recent extreme, you would have to say is basically the American political system at the moment. Because you have someone who has broken so many rules, which to so many people has showcased his power, which has been accepted and sort of tolerated, which then precipitated more and even bigger sort of lies and, and, and rule breaking and whatnot. It's interesting you riff on that, and I, and, and I like where you're going on that. But it's interesting in this period, and maybe it's why subconsciously of us talking about breaking rules is that, you know, we've been watching U- U.S. politics, the election, everyone's blaming each other for cheating and lying and breaking rules. We know there's one person definitely breaking the rules here. I think we're also living it in our home lives. During the pandemic, depending where you live, there's rules that are being brought in that we haven't had before. Like you can't have more than X number of people to your house or, or you know, maximum 10 yep. uh, or now it's whatever the rule is now. And then you have people. Where you wear a mask, where you don't. Yeah, where you mask, you know, where you don't. Now. And then you have the, these tensions that, you know, you have people going on these massive parades of like and feeling empowered by saying, down with mask, down with mask, you know, and they, and then you have others like wear a mask, wear a mask. And then, uh, my, my wife's cousin, his mother passed away in France and he couldn't go, uh, because of everything's going on. And he decided to have a little gathering. We're in the countryside at his place, uh, last weekend around the fire. We were 12 of us to toast his mother and and just as a mini you know kind of memorial technically we're breaking the rules you broke the law <laughs> yeah. yeah now it's fascinating because we've had all of these new rules and regulations brought in and all of these rules are part of as we're sort of saying the social contract so everyone has to sort of agree to these rules and what's been interesting over 2020 is that we've seen so many people you know negotiate those rules so whether or not you know, you wear a mask and where you do it and how, you know, that one is sort of the easy one. But, you know, when you get into these situations where you want to have social gatherings and why, like, it's not like you were having a 400 person party and everyone was just showing up to, you know. No, it wasn't like that Airbnb story rental. of No, exactly. It wasn't a wedding where you're blatantly flaunting the rules. It was, you know, a, a memorial service with outside in the rain (laughs) with a close group of people so you're negotiating that rule amongst your friends Mm -hmm. and you're all entering into that knowingly and willingly even though it contradicts a societal rule that has been newly introduced and that's why i think some of these are so hard for people to get their heads around it is it's new it's not part of their habit it's not part of the way that they've structured their lives their day all of our lives have obviously been disrupted we all get that that's not news but the incorporation of all these different rules is really hard on people. So like a lot of people I've spoken to is, I don't know, the government's made new, I don't understand them all. You've just, you made me realize, I think they understand, they're pretty clear. Like occasionally it's a little fuzzy. I think they're clear. I think where they're having some sort of challenge is that they're being challenged probably for the first time to have to negotiate to what degree do they want to comply or not. Yeah, absolutely. Whereas before they accept all the rules, 
Exactly. Like, what are the major rules that have changed within the past 10 years? But you get my point here, I think, is realizing that where people are freaking out, I don't understand. I think they understand. They're quite clear. It's just they, they just can't, they're processing how they navigate that. Yeah. And there's, and a lot of people that, that who, who do you meet? When do you meet? How, and where do you meet? That's all a nuance to a rule that they're trying to learn and establish into their sort of day-to-day habit and structure. And that's difficult because we haven't had lots of time to grow up or take in this new rule. Like what are the major rule changes of the past 10 years? Uh, Maybe indoor smoking laws. Not even. And it's even been, then, that's, been starting, that's starting to push 10 years. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Before that, you had maybe it was the new seatbelt regulations, like something that's kind of no, not even. It's changed to a daily habit. Yeah. So this is a good point. I'm trying to think of a rule in the last 10 years, you know, uh, uh, short of some weird, gov- you know, parliamentary like thing. Not a, not a change of regulation, but yeah. like a, a, a major rule that has changed. There are very, very few. I can't name one, but maybe it'll come to me. Exactly. There was a big one with the when the smoking regulations changed. Yeah, but that's like twenty years ago, no? Exactly. Right. And that was and that's to my recollection. I mean, I'm only thirty but whatever I am, thirty-two, thirty-three, I can't remember. Um that's the one that I can remember changing Because you lifetime. were smoking when you're around ten no, or twelve and you're I, like I re- Man, no, this is such I remember, a pain. <laughs> I remember going up in Toronto, restaurants were changing, like when we would go out to eat as a family, there'd be sections that were non-smoking and smoking. And then you had restaurants change where they had designated smoking areas, which were like walled off gas chambers where people would go in to smoke. And it was really sad to watch those people in there. And then it was just straight up no smoking indoors. That's the only major change to a person's day-to-day habit based on a law, based on a rule, based on a socially somewhat agreed upon major legislative change that I've experienced. Yeah. And then we had this year where it's like, you can't see people, you can't go places, you have to dress a certain way to go into certain areas. These are major things that people have had to negotiate. And I would say that I know we fell into this topic and we should sound like we don't really thought this through kind of serendipic, you know, we just kind of fell in serendipitously. Yeah. Thank you. Smarter half, but it's actually very timely because I hadn't thought about to the extent that we have not introduced as far as we can recall real rule changes in our social lives for, for a very long time. 15 to 20 years, right? And the and then we've had in the last six, eight months, we've had a whole bunch of roll up. I think what people find really difficult is one, their slight changes. Because initially it was like when even just last week, the change was like if you're gonna quarantine, you can quarantine for seven days. But then that might have nuance. It's seven days if you're non-symptomatic with COVID versus 14 days if you are symptomatic, and when and where you do those quarantines based on what you've done and who you've met and, and it there's so many different variations that it's really difficult to, for people to stay on top of. But we're here about talking about breaking rules, but of course we had to talk about rules. And the mojo yeah. of it. So we had to talk about what, you know, what, what rules in our lives. But so the, I think earlier on uh, we talked about this, but I want to come back to, you know, there are rule breaking things that give us mojo, right? That, yes. that test our limits and, and so you're not the only smarty pants around here is T.S. Eliot once said, okay, only those who will risk going 
too far can possibly find out how far one can go. It's a very good quote. I'll raise you a quote. Oh, you have a I'll better raise one? You a quote by Pablo Picasso. Oh, shit. I'm going to have to Google. There's a quote that's attributed to Pablo Picasso, and it goes, learn the rules like a pro so you can break them like an artist, which is pretty cool. It's a good phrase, but it also matches one of our agency's rules, one of our major beliefs. I think it's number one in our beliefs book, which is break stupid rules. Yeah, it is number so one. We have a, so, so, one. so our Cloudraker has, Backstory. we have this 11 beliefs book that's been around for 15 years that essentially captures the mojo of the agency, you know, kind of the guiding principles of things that matter. The right? rules, the rules of the, the, rules of the agency. <laughs> and, uh, and the first rule in the beliefs book is break stupid rules. So it's core to our thing. You know? Because I think there's part of that, especially in what we do, which is, you know, we do many things as a sort of agency, especially marketing. And one of those things is we try and, you know, for our brands, cut through the clutter and one of the ways that's often used to do that is you try and break with a convention right yeah so you're trying to break sort of you know a generally accepted way of behaving to stand out from the crowd and which is great because it's like you know one of the things we used to have a ux guy who uh who used to say he hates best practices because best practices are just a set of guidelines that sort of everyone has agreed upon as being sort of generically this is the way you do it but then you're just, it's an, everything you do is kind of a me too product or a me too website or whatever. Like everyone's website has a hamburger on the top, right? You know, a hamburger stack or whatever we call them these days. So breaking stupid rules just means don't do something just because it's the way people do it. You know, always have a reason and a thought behind it. And, and that rule for us, I've always interpreted it as like, don't, don't just accept something as being the way it is because that's the way it is. Always assess it each time you do it based on the need of that time. So do you know what the number one goal, holy grail of a marketer is to achieve for their product, their brand? Not piss off, not piss off the general public? No, no, that's just, that's a thing you do. The thing, the holy grail, what do you aspire to achieve most as a company, as a brand for your marketing? What is it then? Word of mouth. So I, I, I read a study, a deep study, like that really started picking apart, like what are the triggers, drivers, what makes word of mouth happen? And it's distilled down to two major factors that generate the most, most powerful word of mouth. And the first one is you've broken some rules. You stand out, you're different. So to your point, and the second is you actually add utility and usefulness in someone's life. So you need that power differentiation. You've broken some convention. You, you stand out from the crowd. And then you, you're making people's lives better. Yeah, I think that, one, that was one of the reasons why, you know, in 2018 during the Super Bowl, the This is a Tide ad was so successful. Because it, it flipped sort of the mechanic on its head. It, it said basically any ad because the clothes are so clean could be a tide ad. So they created those fake ads for different companies that ended up just saying, but this is a tide ad. And then they you know, <laughs> insert the tide pods. That's because you, you were, you were leading them down a certain way that they were expecting a certain thing. And then you flipped it on them and you flipped it fundamentally at its core, which, which was kind of interesting. 
And so that stood out, especially not only just the way they did it, how they structured it throughout the game and all the different things, but the core idea in itself broke a broke, certain rule. Broke its standards and rules. The, yeah. So the other, the other type of rules that are worth, you know, you know, reason why you want to break rules is to be, and I'm going to put this word, a fire starter. A twisted fire starter? No. As you would say. I just, I just, I just think, you know, and so to your point earlier that maybe where it can go bad, you know, your research showing that sometimes power <laughs> is, is, is seeing someone jumping in and breaking that rule. You get a sense of, it gets, it gets a momentum, it gets things going. And I think there's a lot of truth around that. You know, it's sort of like, there's this famous study of uh, the monkey in the pole. Have you heard this study? I might've brought this up in another podcast. Yeah, tell everybody your monkey in the pool story. So uh, famous study, 1960s, because all the crazy <laughs> pain and... When rules were looser. Yeah, yes. So they put a monkey in a, in a room and with a pole, top of the pole, bananas, and monkey goes to climb up, and they have an electric shock unit on that pole shocks the monkey the monkey's like yeah comes down freaked out tries it again gets shocked again is like okay that pull equals pain so they introduce monkey number two into the room and of course that monkey you know they had their little moment of social checking each other out and then the second monkey number two looks up and goes man and bananas there starts climbing up there's no shock but monkey number one Pulls down monkey number two and does all squeechy thing. You know, eh, you can't do that. They introduce monkey number three. Take out monkey number one. Okay. They introduce monkey number three. Comes in, same thing. Checks it out. Oh, banana starts climbing. Monkey number two pulls down monkey number three. So these are like these sort of self-imposed rules that we put around ourselves, the boundaries, the barriers. Mm-hmm. Just something to be said about that. Sometimes you got to, for your own limits, to be pushing those boundaries because we might not even realize the boundaries we put on ourselves. So what do you think about that, Smarty Pants? Uh, <laughs> I like how this podcast has basically become your thing, my thing. Let's see who wins. Um, but before this podcast, I've been oh, you. a running joke. I have a thing. I've always got a thing. But uh, we sort of, back to our Mojo Moments podcast with Amy Black, and, and we had this sort of running joke about Jordan Peterson and his whole thing. But I was reading, I've been reading his book, 12 Rules for Life. And and onto your subject of this study, he, he talks about, um, one of his big things is he studies sort of totalitarian regimes and, and the darkness of humanity and all that sort of stuff. That's a background in some of the stuff he's researched. But he tells, light reading, he tells a joke. Light reading for the... It's very light reading before bed, I have to say. And he talks about this. He's like, there's a, there's a Soviet joke. And the joke goes that Satan's giving a tour to an American of hell. And he shows up to the first cauldron and there are souls inside. And uh, as they start trying to climb their way out of this cauldron boiling pit of, of misery, that there are these little devils around the ring. And, and as soon as one tries to come out, the devil pokes them back in. And it's like, oh, what's that? Well, this is where we keep the Englishmen. Uh, the Englishmen, you know, as soon as they try and get out, we have a devil and they poke them back in. They keep going. It's a slightly larger pot. 
this time there are people with berets and striped shirts and they're all trying to climb out of this bubbling cauldron of misery and there are these little devils inside uh, on the ring and they poke the, the frenchman to go back in oh what's this the frenchman as soon as they try and get out we have these little devils poking them. goes to the third pot it's very large it's very big all the souls inside they're all miserable and they're all trying to climb out but as soon as they start climbing out and they're about to get to the ring they fall back in but there are no devils around this edge and so the American turns to Satan and says, well, what's this one? He says, oh, this is, this is where we keep the Russians. As soon as one of them tries to come out, the people, the, the other souls inside pull them back down. <laughs> so it's back to your monkey thing. Do you think that's still true today? Or is that a Soviet well, story? I think it's more of totalitarian yeah, Stalinism, yeah. USSR kind of vibe. Yeah. But, uh, but there is an element of that. Like there are people who, who do try and keep everybody back down. So I think that's, you know, to the point of being that fire starter, occasionally you got to see someone climb out of that cauldron, Yeah, you know, and go, ah, oh, yeah, there's other ways of doing things. I mean, it's like, it's a cliche, but the invention of, of rugby, the game rugby was some dude who was bored playing soccer or football from whatever <laughs> jurisdiction you're from, grabbed the ball and started running. Going, I don't know, maybe it was a boring day of, I don't know, the soccer ball wasn't moving around and he just grabbed it and ran. Or he wasn't very good at kicking. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go, you know. Um, so here's another thing that, that I came across recently, and I want to get your thought on this, okay? Because of my kids with homeschooling these days, a lot of homework, way more than I think they should have during this COVID period. And, you know, my daughter, hopefully no teachers are listening. <laughs> hopefully they are, to be honest. No, hopefully because... You're hopefully you're enjoying Mojo Moments. Oh, my God. Anyway, she she has a lot of work going on. And we just feel, you know, in this period, you know, she doesn't have any social interactions. Uh, or she did not like before. There's no team sports, not a lot of outlets. And the homework's being piled on. And frankly, she had to do write this little mini English lit, like do the intro of this, the theme of this story and the conclusion, don't do the middle. But still, it was like, oh, my gosh, she's overwhelmed. So I wrote it for her. <laughs> and I, I don't know how I feel. Like, again, I went self-justified, like I gave you my whole preamble here, right? I'm still curious to know what grade I'm going to get on it. But um, grade nine, grade, grade nine English, see if I'll, I'll do. How you do? Uh, yeah. Um, and what it, was the book? It, it's actually a short story. It's a brilliant little short story called The Scarlet of... Is it T.S. Eliot? No. You're like trying to earlier. catch me for cheating on just doing my homework on for this, this podcast. podcast. With your child homework. No, yeah. no. It was it's Scarlet Abyss. Great little story. James Hurst. Uh, I never heard of it until I read it, and thank you for having read it, uh, English teacher. But the reason why I say this is uh, I've been um, listening to um, Matthew McConaughey's book because I don't read anymore. I'm at that age where I just do audiobooks. And, is it Matthew McConaughey reading his own book? Yeah, so it's okay. good. Like he does, a, he's he's an actor so hopefully and he does a good job anyway he talks about this his parents are crazy and they yeah he keeps saying they were uh married three times divorced twice to themselves but his mom had a bit of this edge to her and really thought he was like genius like a lot of parents think their kids perfect anyway he was supposed to do a poetry 
competition and you could win money. And he won the Texan poetry competition for grade six, I think it was. <laughs> and he's trying to write these sayings. Hey, mom, what do you think? She's like, no, no, no. Write this one. And she has out of a book a poem. <laughs> and he's like, and he's like, you mean you want me to get inspired by that? No, no, no. Just write that. <laughs> he's like, but I can't, mom. That's someone else. And she goes, just write it. <laughs> so he, he submitted this poem, one, and she had no scruples. She said, that's my boy. <laughs> Anyway, it's it's a great storytelling, but I I don't feel I went that far with my daughter's homework. But no. but you know, I don't know. I, I think the way in the book have you have you read it? You don't have you? Are you going to read it? I don't think you like Matthew. No, I don't. You can spoil the ending for me. So I I get a sense from it that as he he knew it was wrong, but what it gave him in that case is that his mom would be willing to do anything for him to succeed, which gave him permission in a way to do anything to succeed. I mean, it kind of like, there's one thing that we often say sort of around the office It's uh, to me anyways, it's a sort of 12th belief that's sort of written into the margins of the book uh, of our cloud raker beliefs book. And it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to get permission kind of thing. Like, yeah. We sort of, we sort of like it's an unwritten rule. It's sort of a vibe that we go for at the moment. But one of the things I realized, you know, thinking about this rule breaking, you know, and that the sort of phrase popped in my head, and the difference between the two, between begging for forgiveness and asking for permission, is if you do that, you act first, and that's something that you always yell at us, like just get doing, do stuff, yeah, <laughs> just make things happen, yeah, make it happen, just do something. And, and if you ask for permission, you're waiting to start. You need to be given approval to start, which means being, you know, within within a certain rule structure. And you're, whereas if you're just like, just do it, do something and see what happens. Like this podcast, who knows if anyone's going to listen to it. We kind of just said like, let's try it, see what happens. Should it be shorter? Should it be longer? I don't know. Maybe lots of people will say, yeah, it should be a lot shorter. But you know, <laughs> we're trying something. We're trying something, you know. Sorry if you don't like it, but, you know, we're just trying it out. But one thing that's implicit in the in in what you're saying there about you know you know beg for you know don't ask permission beg for forgiveness there is a certain inbuilt built-in accountability there is an expectation of you're using your 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 brains a little to 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 make a call on something you know the, you're given the responsibility to not do yeah, to something stupid yeah you know you, but just go you know and I, I find that that whole notion is more empowering. You know, Absolutely. what do you want in any any organization, business or nonprofit, whatever? Is you want people to have initiative and who are pushing and going, not waiting to be told to do or to ask to do things. Yeah. Make things so, happen. Um, so you'd said it earlier because maybe we do do these a bit long, although we're not like you know, that other dude. I'm not going to name him. It does four-hour podcasts. Doesn't need any more promotion. Yeah, and he's only getting a hundred million bucks for it. But we are getting famous too, my friend. I heard Dax Shepard wants to be on our show. I'm saying that. I mean, he's welcome yeah. anytime. 
you're manifesting. That's yes. nice. I yeah. like that. Good that's mood. one thing. So there's another type of, of rule breaking when it makes kind of maybe where you have permission to do it. It makes sense. Okay. Even though we're saying don't ask for permission, which is um, for a greater purpose. You know, when, when something really lines up with your, your values, like now you could debate what are the right values, but you know, when, if you're, you're, if someone says here, shoot this person, you're like, no, I'm not doing that. You know, like it's against my values. Uh, that's a very simplistic dumbed down version of it. What's interesting though, I did my research on this too. Cause I was like, you know, people in the, in time and history who have broken rules for greater purpose and, and good. And in this year where, you know, black lives matter has reemerged like it does way too often as a very important issue in our society uh, is Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks is probably known as one of the most famous heroes known for breaking the rule, uh, sitting in the front of the bus in Montgomery, Alabama, okay, and she refused to go in the back. What's interesting about that is she wasn't breaking a rule. In fact, the day she sat, in the front of the bus was the day that segregation laws had been broken, put away, or whatever you call that. Um, and so it was in her totally within her rights on that day to sit in the front of the bus. So she was just applying her rights. She was actually uh, following the rules. If anyone was breaking... But she had, yeah, but she was breaking sort of like this social habit of everybody else on the bus. True, true that. And that that's where the bus yeah. driver was like, no, 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 you, gotta, you can't do that. And we know the rest of the story. So, in fact, the first woman, at least, that, that, that we have in record, who broke the rules in, I think it was also in Alabama, was Claudette Colvin, 15-year-old woman who did refuse to give up her seat and uh, got arrested. And we don't know about her. And that's a whole, that's a whole other topic. There's a great NPR um, uh, documentary on that. But so it's interesting. There is this whole notion of, you know, rightful breaking rules. But the one that's pretty iconic up there of Rosa Parks was she wasn't, to your point, she she was breaking more a social convention rather than breaking the actual law at that point. Here in Canada, we have our own story, which is now on the $10 bill, right? And that's Viola Desmond. It was certainly something I had to learn a couple of years ago. At some point, I was part of the team writing a book for the Beaverton on Canadian history. So we were looking at these different stories and trying to find things that were underrepresented in the sort of in the historical record. And one of these was on Viola Desmond. And in 1946 in Nova Scotia, she went to a white only area of a theater. She bought a ticket. She sat in the white only area. And then she, you know, was, was kicked out. What year is this? Sorry, say that again. 1946. God damn. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She was convicted for a minor tax violation for the one cent tax difference between the seat she'd paid for and the seat that she used. And there was a color section, a white section. She sat in the white section, which is kind of crazy. In 2010, she was given a, a pardon, the first to be granted in Canada, a posthumous pardon, which is kind of crazy. So that's on our $10 bill for all of those people with their purple money. Well, I think we've done the round. Like, I don't know. Like, seriously. We're just going to put a little qualifier on this for all the youths out there, like, you know, break rules, but break them intelligently. 
Yeah. Know why you're breaking a rule if you're going to break a rule. Yeah. And be ready for the consequences. Yeah. And I think that's a great mojo topic. And on that note, buddy, what rule are you going to break tonight? Is it snowing out? Is your dog ready? It's not snowing. Yeah, my dog's ready. I don't think there's enough snow. I don't (laughs) think it's quiet enough for me to go prowling the streets with my dog and my can of beer. (laughs) I love that one. Okay, thank you, Mark. And I call that a wrap. Um, All right, buddy. So this is a big thank you to the whole team here at Cloudraker, to all the team that makes this happen. Chris Vellin. You're still rocking us out. And for all of those who want to listen to Clickbait and Switch, check that out wherever you get your podcasts, marketing podcasts. It's short, under 15 minutes. Gives you what you need to know in a week. Check it out. And if you want more deep thinking podcasts, keep listening to Mojo Moments and share it to the world for a good 50 minutes or more of soul-defining mojo. And enlightening content. Yes. Okay. That's a, that's a wrap. Thank you. Bye. Bye.